You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Brett Blankner with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we help you find yourself through endurance at the end of all those long runs and rides and swims. You may ask yourself, self, who am I? And then there you are. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the show breakdown. We have an interview with Joshua Culp of Culprit Bikes, all about his disc brake equipped 3D printed Kickstarter Superbike that you will be seeing shortly all over the place. It's really cool, and he is a bike industry insider, and it's very cool to talk about bikes and to nerd out on how they are made, what they're made from, and the whole process and the competition out there in the design world for bikes and what's coming in the future. It's really, really cool. All right, and also in the training log segment of the show, I take you with me as I order Blue Apron and start cooking delivered meals to the house. And also Kai does a one mile fun run that we clock with a Garmin and I ride along next to him on the bike. He's actually doing it for a school project and a whole bunch of other random things like a swim workout and all kinds of cool stuff. But before we get into all that, let's go ahead and do some triathlon news. Here we go. All right, first up, let's talk a little bit about Ultraman that went down Thanksgiving weekend. Ultraman Hawaii World Championships, 30 people out there on the big island about killing themselves to get this thing done. Ultraman is a three-day race. If you listen to the past few episodes, I went out and did one on my own and about killed myself out there doing it. (laughs) They're really, really hard. It's about two and a half Ironmans over three days. Uh, The final day is a double marathon. It's really tough. And your first place winner this year was Michael Coughlin out of Canada with a total of 21 hours and 44 minutes. And he almost broke the record. I think it was set like 17 years ago or something. I mean, it's a long, long time since somebody's uh, come close to that record. And he almost did it. And yeah, just missed it by like a couple minutes. And then a Hawaii local named Stacy Studer, Studer uh, did it in 28 hours and 29 minutes. And uh, congratulations to them. Uh, a Zentri friend, uh, Christian Isaacson, uh, got knocked out, I guess is the, the, the phrase we should use, out of the race on day two on the bike ride. Uh, there was really high winds and rain. The, um, the weather forecast for that day was, uh, well, they had warnings in the forecast, 25 to 35 mile per hour winds with up to 50 mile per hour gusts. <laughs> Imagine trying to ride your bike in that, all that beautiful Hawaii scenery. You never think about how treacherous it might be. And uh, let's see, let's cover the uh, distances real quick. It's a uh, 10K swim, 6.2 mile swim, uh, open water, open ocean uh, with wetsuit, uh, Parts of it are smooth sailing, and parts of it can get pretty rough. And then they get out and immediately head over to a 90-mile bike ride, which ends up riding up the side of a volcano at the top is where the finish line is for day one. And then day two is 170, 172-mile bike ride. I forget the exact number. But the uh, 
day three is the uh, double marathon in the heat. It's pretty crazy, man. So anyway, they went and did that. And that's in all the uh, triathlon news right now. It's a really small field. And I'd say that someday, you know, we'd see more people doing this. But the amount of time it takes to train is unbelievable. And that really filters out the competitors. The, uh, the, the quotes and the, the, uh, the victory speeches of the uh, people that uh, do these things say, you know, I spent all year training for this and now I need to go find my family again. <laughs> and, uh, or this was many years in the making to uh, even get there and perform like this. And I know somebody asked me how long it took me to do a uh, self-supported Ultraman. And I said, you know, actually when I think about it, it was 10 years of training to get up to the point where I could consider uh, doing one of these, have enough experience. I could have compressed it, I guess, into more but you know you've got a you got a, a job and a family and stuff, and you can only do so much. So um, I think the field is never going to get to be too big because to be competitive at this level, um, only so many people can do it or find the time to do it or the willpower and the dedication to uh, stick with something for so long. Uh, Iron Man, for example, has a big problem with uh, one and doneers. You know, people do one and then they never do it again. And imagine what it takes to train for an Ultraman. Okay, also in the news, we have a interesting diet study that came out with uh, basically people, they studied 800 people, gave them the same foods, and the same foods in different people gave off different blood sugar reactions. So I give one person a banana. Uh, because, uh, like you hear bananas, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're kind of high in, uh, simple sugars, you know, and, and they're easy to digest. Well, it sends that person's blood sugar, uh, up a lot, which is what we're uh, trying to avoid here. And then you give another person a banana and it doesn't do that to them. It actually, their body reacts maybe more to the fiber in the banana, what little fiber there is, and it just doesn't react to the starchy and the starch and the sugars in the banana, and their blood sugar stays level. It's really odd. And what all this points to is that maybe uh, different people should uh, not take generic food advice and actually kind of listen and pay attention to what. Uh, foods, what different foods do to them. You can go to a corner drugstore and buy a blood sugar test kit and eat something and then see what it does to your blood sugar if you want to find out for sure. Um, it's it's really interesting. And I know that, uh, yeah, some foods mess with me and some foods don't. And it's probably not the same foods as uh, other people. So, yeah. And in nutrition news, there was a big blood sugar study that came out where they tested 800 people and found out that the same food will give different blood sugar reactions to different people. So you give one person a tomato and their blood sugar skyrockets. You give a different person, uh, not the exact same tomato because it's been eaten, but a similar tomato and their uh, blood sugar doesn't do anything. And why? Or does hardly anything. So why? The, uh, the, this whole thing with people are different and different uh, people have different reactions to the same food. It's really bizarre. No one uh, has really talked about this before. And it's absolutely amazing. I, I remember when Emily was uh, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, uh, somebody told her to really watch out for watermelon. It'll spike her blood sugar like crazy and that it's weird. 
And eventually she got around to eating some watermelon and it hardly did anything. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's odd. But anyway, it's uh, definitely a pointer to remember that you should pay attention to how foods make you feel and, uh, you know, test your own blood sugar, which is easy to do. You can, go, you can go get a blood sugar test kit at any corner store and test your own blood sugar if you think something's making your blood sugar act like crazy. And uh, all the tools are available to you to kind of study yourself and maybe zero in on what actually works. And uh, by the way, uh, Brian Broad, Tribe Boomer, sent me an article where uh, some people, more people are using maple syrup as fuel, which I find really, really interesting. All right, that's enough of the news that's going around. We'll have plenty more next episode. The triathlon world just keeps on rocking. And let's go ahead and get started with our interview, but only after we mention a sponsor. Let's go ahead and talk about livingfuel.com. All right, these guys make super healthy, nutritious food items of all kinds. They have green smoothies. They have purple smoothies because it's uh, is it raspberry. It's berry flavored. And uh, packets of uh, chia seeds with uh, coconut shreds. Uh, they make energy bars. Um, it's all really, really good. And they're a big fan of Zentri. They came to me and asked if they could help sponsor shows. And I said, absolutely. And my favorite thing out of all that, they make a protein powder too that's like... Uh, is it banana flavored? It's, uh, anyway, let me back up. My favorite thing is uh, these uh, coconut chia uh, packets where you cut them open and just sprinkle them in your mouth and eat them. And they taste really, really good. And the chia and the coconut is, uh, you know, loaded with fiber, which is great for you. And then also this, this uh, smoothie powder that is green and it is crazy healthy, crazy full of vitamins. And uh, since I got that, I haven't been making my green smoothies where I pound all this kale and and uh, spend forever like rinsing off all the stuff and, and uh, veggies and, and things and put it into the blender and have to clean out the blender and do all kinds of crazy things. And instead, I take a scoop of this pre-made green drink mix and I put it into a bike water bottle and add some water and then shake it. And then boom, green smoothie, done. <laughs> it's really cool. I use it every day, sometimes twice a day. And uh, my weight has maintained a nice solid level. Uh, hasn't fluctuated up and down all over the place. It's just maintained nice and even, which is a good indicator of good health and good nutrition. And yeah, so check them out. Livingfuel.com. They have all kinds of uh, different stuff and also probably a bunch of stuff I haven't even mentioned. And also they are a big supporter of the show, so go check them out. All right, now let's go ahead and get on with the interview. Here is Joshua Culp of Culprit Bikes, culpritbicycles.com. And this story, you're going to see a lot more of this happening on the Internet here pretty soon as this Kickstarter project starts taking off. I'm excited to bring this to you guys. Here you go. Welcome to the next level. All right, I am here with Joshua Culp from Culprit Bikes. How's it going, man? Not bad. Not bad, and you're in, Not bad. in Taiwan? 
I am in Taiwan. Been here for almost 11 years. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's that's crazy. What time is it there? It's evening here. It's it's 10:40 in the morning. 10:40. Oh, you got a whole day ahead of you. I'm just wrapping up. <laughs> All right. You have 3D printed a bicycle. This is crazy. And it's something I've always wanted to do is get into 3D printing stuff. Because I'm just looking at like 3D printing maybe a bento box or something like that. And you went out and 3D printed an entire bicycle. For your there, there, there's two ways. You can either 3D print or you can do you know CNC plastic. Uh-huh. The thing for us is we want to be able to test cable routing. Oh, cable and route. So, yeah. And okay. so to be able to do that, we had to have, have it hollow inside the down tubes and sections of the frame. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we had to go with a 3D printed frame because then we can get the cable routing option in this in the RP sample. Okay. And this you were doing all this to kind of like market test cheaply, as well, well, as cheaply as possible, right? Everything's relative. So as cheaply as possible, market test a bike design, which when I saw it, I fell in love with it. I thought it was really cool. And... And see, and then put it on Kickstarter to see if it will really take off. And if it does, then you have funding for the bike. And you did it with a 3D printed prototype, um, which is really neat because I think it's the a really smart hybrid between the Diamond bike, the Flying V Zip uh, bike that's been around for a while now, the Beam bikes like Soft Rides, and then a standard uh, Diamond bike. In that, really, the only thing that it's missing is seat stays. But um, those are just hanging out in the wind, and with modern carbon, you really don't need them. And uh, so then the overall geometry of the bike is really, it's really pretty. And um, so tell us a little bit about uh, what got you going with this, and, and where, do you, where do you see it heading? All right, well, um, you know, we, there is one, one thing that we did the 3D printing for that was also not just to show off the design, but also to check things, because once you open a mold, to go back and modify the mold, CNC it, and change it's a very difficult thing if you don't like what you what you have in the first place. Right. So if you look at most manufacturers, they actually do do 3D printed or they do a CNC plastic sample before they cut the molds. Okay. It's just something that most people don't know about. They don't see because most big manufacturers come and bring the finished product to market. Right. So as a small company, we just like you said, we need Kickstarter to help us get that funding and to confirm the desire because it is a very large financial investment to take this bike into production. So the reason behind the disc brakes and the legend was, you know, we were one of the first brands in 2013, 12 and thir- 2012 and 13 to launch disc brakes. Mm-hmm. And living in Asia where it's constantly raining, I've experienced how terrible disc carbon clinchers can be in the rain. Yeah. Or carbon tubers, it doesn't matter what you're riding. But if you're riding on carbon braking tracks, it's not what it could be or should be. Okay. And so it left me desiring a lot of improvements. And when, you know, TRP was the first ones to bring out their disc brakes for road, I got really excited about that because I live about 10 minutes from TRP's main main office. And so I got to really get on the stuff before even when it was bringing out cyclocross frames and when disc brakes were just starting to move into the road sec- sector. So I was able to play with this stuff and, and experience it firsthand how much better I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And we thought, why not put this on, on triathlon bikes, where, it, where the cable routing seems to be the most difficult of all bikes. Right. So I've ridden uh, mountain bikes with disc brakes, and it's I thought V-brakes were good when they first came out, gosh, like in the mid-90s. <laughs> the late 90s and disc brakes are incredible so what well for people that don't know when you're riding downhill a lot or for an extended period of time the first thing you notice about disc brakes is your hands don't get tired the Correct. Of- it's about that it's about fatigue it's not so much of people are always arguing oh you don't need the traction you don't need to stop that fast you don't need yeah. i mean people are keep the argument keeps going back to to traction of the tire right and that, that's not the reason for disc brakes the reason for disc brakes is better modulation 
Yeah. And the fact is, your hands just cannot get beaten up through it. You know, yeah. if you look at a road bike, when you're going down a 20, 10K descent, your hands are exhausted just from pulling the calipers the whole time. Right. But when hey. you're on disc bikes, you're doing a two, two, single or two-finger pull the whole time going down because it, that's the fluid system, and it's really easy to work with. Yeah, so I, w I went mountain biking with these brakes for the first time, and the first thing I noticed... But yeah, they, you know, they don't, um, you know, your mountain bike tire gets wet or muddy or something like that. The rims, you know, it doesn't really affect it. And, but yeah, my hands were um, so much more uh, rested and relaxed and less fatigued, which allowed me to actually uh, steer the bike a whole lot better, which led to a much better uh, biking experience with that. And now I'm looking at, um, I'm doing uh, Whistler, Ironman Canada. Okay. And uh, in this this summer, and that's a hilly bike course, and it could rain quite a bit. And I was looking into getting carbon clinchers, but I think um, I know your bike doesn't come out for a little while. But the um, you know I'm sticking with uh, aluminum track at least for a while because um, the uh, uh, aluminum track wheels because the um, the course I'm going to be on is going to be uh, it's going to be brake intensive at times. I think. No, I would agree with that. I think I mean Pierre is saying why. Go, why go disc brakes altogether? And the fact is, it's because the market doesn't want aluminum wheels. Mm -hmm. I think a rim brakes do do well, but however, the point is that hydraulics, when they are ready, just will outperform, outperform mechanical. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, right now, the only thing available to me is mechanical disc brakes. Mm -hmm. But I am aware that there is development going on in the industry for hydraulic trap on brake levers. Oh, okay. So it will come. It will come in time. It's just it may not be released with our first production of our bike. Yeah. So with your bike, you could actually now see where I live. The, um, I don't think I really, I live in central Texas where it's just rolling hills and it actually doesn't rain all that much. So most of the time the, uh, I'm not, you know, it's not Taiwan. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's hilly and rainy here. So definitely. Yeah. So, um, I'm pretty good, but I, I was wondering with your bike, I don't think, I don't th think you've answered this question. Anybody's posed this question. Is it theoretical with your bike that you could do a disc rear and a, a, uh, regular, uh, road brake front? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just it comes down to your wheel selection. Yeah. Because the the back has CNC dropouts, so you're going to be either switching between disc and the rim. Uh huh. But the frame the frame itself is identical. Oh, that's cool. So, so it just depends on how you run it, and then of course the front forks would be different. So if you're going to run disc brakes, you'd run the disc fork. If you're running rim brakes, you'd be running the rim fork. Yeah. And I saw the stem. Oh, so people want to go check this out. You're going to have a page up on Kickstarter pretty soon. Correct. Very uh, soon. Well, when do you think that is? I, it's really hard to say. We're trying to knock everything out and get our, our end done by the end of this weekend or early next week, and then it takes a few days for Kickstarter to approve. Okay, well, I'll put a link so to it with, along with the show. Or So um, once we can once we confirm the date, I'm going to send out a press release to everybody saying it's alive on this day. Okay, and your main website is Culprit Bikes, right? CulpritBicycles.com. CulpritBicycles.com. And... Um, and you have a you have a full selection of bikes and like you this is uh, it'll be over by the time people get this but it's Black Friday while we're recording this and you have kids bikes which is really nice I like that to have the selection for kids is a really cool thing and the um, also uh, the stem on your on the the bike that we're talking about is the Culprit Legend and Correct. the um, the stem is hollow and and uh, is is the stem have some sort of cap on it like lengthwise? So that's gonna I'm not gonna go too much detail about the stem because we're launching and uh, I've got a, an, another partner and I are gonna develop this company. It's gonna uh -huh. be a new component brand. 
and we're still registering the company name right now, so I won't make the name of the brand public, but it is going to be a component-only brand. Uh-huh. And we developed a road, the same style you saw on the TD bike, but at a different angle, because that's a minus 17. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a minus 10 road version of the stem, Yeah. and with a little bit shorter cover. So you are asking, it's a, underneath is structural, so it's just a carbon stem that's got a cavity inside for the DI2 junction box. Oh, okay, so you can put the junction box inside the stem. Inside the stem. Yeah, that's cool. And then, then there's a four, just typical four bolts with our two, two different cover pieces mm-hmm. that, that hold the, the bar bore down. Right. And then you've got the cover that's going to go on top with two bolts in final production. Yeah. One thing I like about bike designs like yours is the, um, I like it where it's a classic uh, head tube so that if you want, you can put your own kind of stem on. And then behind that, trailing behind that, is an aerodynamic bento box. Uh, I think that's a real smart use of the space, and I'm glad you're doing that. And the bento box on display is not the final version. We're, uh-huh. we're still gonna we're working with the manufacturer who's got the ability to, to put ground up Kevlar and plastics together, so it's gonna be a lot stiffer and stronger and lighter than. The, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> and with that, we'll also be able to, you know, he wants to. We're talking. He and I, the designer, are talking about making it. With like more of a wing design that that wraps around the stem a little bit. Oh yeah, okay. So it actually have a little bit more of an aerodynamic advantage in the final version. Oh, that's cool. Well, like Specialized has a has a bento box called the Remora, I think it is. Yes, on the girls' bike, it's similar in the concept. Yeah, and it's it's pretty cool. I had one for a while, but I couldn't get it to stay on the frame. It eventually came off, so they should know that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the um, the uh, another thing you've done. And I actually want to ask you about this too. The uh, another thing you've done is right in front of the seat post junction, um, because there's empty space in there inside the carbon. You uh, created a little slot to put in, for example, a bike tool, right? Yeah, we originally wanted to go more space, but unfortunately, the design limitations mm-hmm. really got in the way of that because we wanted to be able to fit two bottle, two water bottles mm-hmm. on even down the small sizes. So of course, that was one of the design features for the bike is. We don't expect people to race with it because we didn't design the bike to be faster with water bottles on the down tube. Yeah. But we did design the bike to be used in training with hydration. Right. And so for that reason, we want to be able to get as much hydration on the bike for people who go out for six-hour rides without a rest stop available to them. Right. And so using those limitations, it, of course, affected how wide or how long the down tube could have been. We could have gone 130, 100. The point is it could have been a much larger down tube. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the seat tube. However, we had to work within the constraints of water bottles. And so because of that, you know, if you look at the new cube, not the new cube and the new canyon, they've got massive joints between the seat tube and the top tube. Yeah. And the canyon can fit, you know, the spare, a lot more, a lot more tools and stuff in there. But we also found that because we're trying to get a lot more features on the bike, that wasn't the direction we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And so we just put a multi-tool in there, which is the basics that you need to get, you know, to repair your bike on the road. Or, and that's the one thing you think people, most of the time, they forget anyways. Yeah. You know, we always remember to bring with us our hydration, but we typically forget to bring that multi-tool. Right. And so one thing that you that you typically might need in the case, worst case scenario, and that's it'll be there ready for you. Yeah. And uh, I think you said something about like a neoprene little baggy for so that the it'll be, it'll be inside neoprene so it won't be rattling around and yeah. damaging the frame yeah and uh i've i've wondered uh with these massive down tubes that bikes have now um when how long is it going to be before somebody puts a side panel on one where you can pop off the side panel and then just store all kinds of stuff in there and and insul- you know like neoprene it so stuff doesn't bounce around that's a lot of lost space in those things Yes and no, because it's not that wide. You're looking at, at the most 27 to 31 millimeters. And oh, it is. When you think about that, 
you know, you've got maybe 18 millimeters of, of space inside. Mm-hmm. And how much can you really do that? And, and once, and that's using that structural shape. If you start going, cutting it off, then that size diameter and the is not going to be enough for structural. Yeah. So it's kind of you have to be careful how much you play with because you can make pockets, but every time you cut into it and make an opening, you have a lot more stress points. True. And so for that reason, I mean, if you look at the Ventum bike, Ventum did a great job, and they have an awesome patent that is for a conformed water bottle. Right. And so they've done it, you know, people who want to do that are going to have to go to Ventum to get their, their approval. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that's, you know, patents are out there. A lot of people, Cervelo has the hydration that's coming out of the sections of the frame and, and hydration going in back in, tubes going into the frame to come out. So it's a really tricky thing of how do you develop a bike that's got all this integration mm-hmm. without stepping on somebody else's patent infringements. Right. And speaking of which, you, you uh, nailed some patents for yours, right? Without the seat stays? We did patent uh, a structural frame with a front triangle and no seat stays. Yeah. And so we do have that in Taiwan, China, and Germany. And, and primarily that's because those are the manufacturing countries. Right. You know, we, we did apply for America, but for some reason the U.S. government doesn't like to give foreign companies <laughs> patents too quickly. And I've had yeah. friends who have told me they've had to reapply three or four times to get approved. Wow. And it was, we were sent back a mountain bike patent infringement, which is pretty interesting. So it has no correlation, but however, I think it's just their way of saying reapply, and they really want you to just go through the process longer. Right. And in, in the long run, we decided it wasn't worthwhile because most people who are going to be manufacturing this bike in America aren't going to be offering the same price point. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. And so let's talk a little bit about the frame. Uh, without the seat stays, what made you want to take away the seat stays? Comfort. We're trying to get a little bit more compliance in the bike because if you look at a lot of the road vibrations are, of course, passed through the chain stays after the seat post. Uh-huh. But also the seat stays have some influence in that vibration passing into the seat post as well. Right. And so by removing one one connect, we're hoping to be able to damp, dampen the ride and create a, a less buzz feeling and more comfort for the long ride. Okay. And, uh, yeah, because I know you hear about people riding a, a Diamond, for example, say it's, it's, it's pretty comfy. These beam bikes are pretty comfy. So it would be kind of similar to that, right? Uh, we have a little more limitation with how much we can get flex on the bike because mm-hmm. the beam is actually most of the flex in a, in a beam bike. Right. So I've got a lot more of the play there because you don't want to play with your chainstay stiffness too much. Yeah. So we're going to need to find out how much compliance we can get inside the, the chainstays, and we'll only figure that out once we start getting a carbon layup. Right. And and uh, what about, uh, for example, aerodynamics? You, you took this bike to a wind tunnel and got it tested? We took the original Legend to San Diego wind tunnel uh-huh. two and a half years ago. And we did have my version and you know I was working time with another supplier on their version jointly. Mm-hmm. And we tested both bikes in the wind tunnel, the same frame shapes. And one had a seat stay and one did not have a seat stay. Mm-hmm. And the, without seat stays, did outperform the version with seat stays. Cool. So that was our original confirmation. Again, that bike, as you see on Kickstarter, we went through a complete redesign. Yeah. And we did validate the bike in the this time in the faster wind tunnel. And that's just because we had a lot of runs to go through in San Diego. It was just, as a small company, we couldn't afford the price. And we needed a lot more hands-on help. And we felt the shop, we, the faster, was the right choice for us. Mm-hmm. So we did go down there. We tested a, a P5 in the exact same setup configuration as best we can get matched, of course, with the Altura bar and other features. Uh-huh. S- same wheels, same heights and adjustments, everything were, were dialed in perfectly. And so we did the P5 with a bento box and without the bento box. And then we did our bike as a disc version, a rim version, and a 1x11 version. Yeah. And the results will be available soon. I can just say <laughs> that the bike is on par. Uh-huh. We did beat 
the P5 at a, occasional yaws, but it's not a flat across the board. You know, we didn't beat them at every yaw angle as some other bikes are claiming they have or, or truly have. Uh-huh. But we also realized that we are not in that same complete market because we're not like a Trek and we're not like these surveys that are completely integrated where the front end is so dialed in, all these details are so integrated that it's a great bike for the aerodynamics, but also it suffers when it comes to the travel section. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. So the, um, and that's what I'm like, for example, I have a uh, BMC TMO2, right? And the TMO1 is a faster, lighter, you know, bike, but it's so integrated on the front end that I can't figure out the length of the stem on that thing. And also, if I wanted to take it apart, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> and, Do you have to take your bike apart? Are you talking about the O1 or the O2? The O1. So I have okay. an O2. And with the O2, um, which is a more simple design, like I said, with the classic um, uh, stem and uh, head tube, uh, I can switch out stems, switch out stem angles. I can uh, take it apart for travel. Um, just do all kinds of stuff so much more easily, and um, I re- that's one thing I really, really like about it. And as I, I'm starting to look at it, at uh, getting a different bike because mine's got a lot of miles on it. The um, it's it's kind of hard to find a nice aerodynamic triathlon bike that uh, that's a more top end bike that still has the um, that kind of design where the the adjustability and stuff on the front end is um, mm. is is still there uh, for somebody that um, like uh, I don't have I don't think anybody hardly anybody does has a class you know has an average body shape <laughs> no and um, uh, for example my stem I have an adjustable stem adjustable angle stem it's pretty neat and I can change the angle of the stem anytime I want for uh, different kinds of racing and okay um, that's that's pretty neat that I can do that and I can lower it if I want to be more aggressive or raise it if I don't um, without ever even having to take the stem off. Um, and so with, with your bike, the, uh, the cool thing that I like is that it still retains that, that um, adjustability on the front end for traveling. Because so many triathletes, uh, we actually have to go to these bigger races, and they, uh, a lot of people complain that they need to also put a mechanic in their bike box. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one thing is because... I'm, I travel a lot. I mean, Taiwan has some great races, but if I really want to race competitively, Taiwan's not always going to be my, my best choice. Right. And so I need to go to other countries for whatever reasons I want to go to, whether it's destination races with the family or whether I just want to get there and have a fun race. And so I do realize that if you go to drop off your bike, you could be waiting two or three days to get your bike back because everybody else has the same problem. Uh-huh. And so that's the reason why we did design a bike that was really easy to work with. And so... You did talk about the stem. The beautiful thing is we realized we have our own cockpit. Uh-huh. And it's a new brand that we're going to be launching next year as well on Kickstarter. But if somebody doesn't want that cockpit, any other stem, any other handlebar can work. In fact, if you look at the video presentation on our Kickstarter campaign, one bike is built with our handlebar and stem, and the other bike is built with our stem and a profile design handlebar. Uh-huh. And they both work flawlessly with the setup. And so the nice thing is if you look at you want to run a 140mm stem, well, that's a pretty big stem for most triathletes. However... It is available out there on the market, and that's what you would need for your fit arrangement and fit adjustments. Mm-hmm. You can take a 140 stem, put your handlebar on there. And if you are running DI2, we found there's no solution to that to make it clean, is you would just be using two junction Bs in your bike design. Okay. So you'd be running two junction Bs in the front because those are really small boxes that you can plug and play into and make it all compatible. Right. And then you can run up until run the junction A under the saddle, and we're going to have a, a hole out the back of the seat post. Mm-hmm. 
so you can have your have your di2 cables run out through this frame out the back of the seatbelt, and you can tuck it underneath your saddle. Oh yeah, I got you. So it's it's a few more cables. It's a lot more a little more difficult in that sense. But then we we've got the cleanest and the easiest option for you to have access to charging and mm-hmm. di2 function without having it hidden behind the stem if you don't want to try to hide in an inappropriate place. Yeah, yeah. And for now, uh, di2 is is uh, wired electronic shifting is pretty much the standard. But um, pretty soon they're gonna. Are, are you gonna allow uh, mechanical shifting on your bike, or is it all electronic? No, it's there's there's a bike set up in the Kickstarter that's a mechanical build. We did a one by eleven, but we can also run two by eleven. Okay, and uh, but I saw uh, SRAM is doing the um, all wireless uh, battery. Correct, but you still have the blip box, so that's an issue that you still have cables running in the cockpit area. Right, right. And then from there you go wireless to the derailleurs. Right, and uh, also um, the <laughs> uh, you sent me uh, before the interview, you sent me a link to some videos that you're going to put in the Kickstarter, and I think the one you got to keep is your wife bouncing up and down on top of the frame <laughs> to show the strength of the frame. That is so funny. That is really cool. I mean, it's a common question. People ask, can you make a bike stiff enough? And so the fact is, I thought, you know, why not? You know, I've had other friend, friends who've done this with their bikes. They say their bike's so stiff, and they've had somebody stand on it before. Yeah. And that's great with a double triangle. So, you know, I thought, why not? We've already taken this bike. It's been ridden. It's been reinforced multiple times to make that bike to where it is today. But just the rest of the bike had some design flaws. Uh-huh. And so we let the project forego. Right. But we knew through that that there's enough material, and the materials are strong enough to make this bike rideable. Uh-huh. And so for that reason, I thought, yeah, why not? It'd be kind of a fun little video to show that you can walk off on, on the back of the bike. My wife is, of course, lighter than me. I didn't want to try my, my own weight because I'm kind of on the heavy side right now. Yeah. But nobody's putting that much force on that direction of the bike anyways. No. It really wouldn't matter. No. And, and, and that's without the axle with the wheel, you know? Like, of course it's going to hold up. And <laughs> it's still funny. <laughs> I like it. Um, and also, you took the... Um, you t- well, you took the bike to Hawaii to Kona to show it off, right? With a little press release. Correct, we did. And um, well, one, how did you just put it in a bike box and and take it, or or uh, how did you how did you get it there? Um, uh, we flew it with us. Everything was dis- disassembled still. So of course, every time we travel the bike, it is it's more fragile than a carbon bike at this point. So we still have to pack it really carefully. I can't put it as a complete unit into a bike bag right now. Okay. So we have to disassemble the bike and transfer it and take it there and reassemble the bike. And it's a bit more work, but we're happy with the outcome. And, of course, going to Kona, we got a lot of attention. I had a lot of my competitors, engineers, stop by the bike and give it a look over and compliment me on the design, which is really encouraging. Yeah. So even the biggest and the best brands in the world are, are aware of this little small brand named Corporate. And it's definitely an encouraging feeling to know that you know a small company can shake up the industry. Yeah, I gotta say, before I saw your bike, it never that design never crossed my mind. And then when I saw it, I thought that is that is real. I think I told you already um, uh, off air like a few weeks ago. I uh, wanted to get you on the show because the design the design is really cool. It's a bike. There's something about it um, because it's kind of edgy, but it's also the geometry is very classic uh, triathlon like real sleek. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about it where all the lines just match up just wonderfully. So it looks super aggressive and um, the, uh, the, the the width of the tubes and everything like that. And like I said, the bento, mm-hmm. the trailing bento box, everything about it just seems to line up just right. And um, it looks like a bike that people would be like proud to be seen on. You know, some of the, some modern bikes just look kind of <laughs> a little bit too funky or too well, weird, you know? Unfortunately, the market's heading that direction. Right? I shouldn't say unfortunately. It's good for everybody. But I yeah. think 
disc brakes are coming, and the problem is if you look at all these current super bikes, you can't fit a caliper in the frame. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you look at the, the way these lower seat stays are, are on the felt and these other bikes, which are beautiful bikes and extremely fast on wind tunnel, uh-huh. but there's no option for discs on that frame as it currently is because the caliper won't fit in that small, loud space. Right. And so that's one of the beautiful things about having no, st- seat, no seat stays as well is because we've taken that problem equation out of the problem. Mm-hmm. You want to put on any disc caliper, whether it's a bulky mechanical brake or a, a new sleek hi- hydraulic disc brake, Everything will fit on the bike, and that's another great feature about the bike is because if you are traveling, you have a hydraulic caliper, and something goes wrong with it, and it's broken, it, it leaked, whatever can go wrong. Yeah, you can just go to any local shop; they'll have mountain bike parts on hand and a TT brake lever, mm-hmm. and you can pair the two together with mechanical, and you're racing that next day. Yeah, and so it's not the best looking solution, but the fact is there is a solution that can work. Yeah, because yeah. that's one of our biggest things. We want somebody to be able to show up to race, and if something were to go wrong in transit. As long as the frame's not cracked, you know they're going to be able to find most every other part for their bike at the local shop, and they can get their their bike ready to race the next day. Yeah, that, I I did a um I did a self-supported Ultraman earlier this year, or I mean just like a just like a month ago or two, and the um during training these uh, I have these zip uh, return to center uh, shifters. Correct. And they're be- the same. Yeah, and they break. They're beautiful, and they, when they work, they're amazing. And I thought, man, I'm getting away with murder here. This is great <laughs> because it feels like electronic shifting because they they're just so I would say entirely like electronic, but it's pretty neat, you know. And then all of a sudden, one went limp and just like fell apart in my hand as I was shifting after about maybe almost a year of using it. Mm. And then I got it repaired, and then it started doing the same thing, and and. Um, I thought, I can't go into a race like this. Because that one ride that I did where it broke about halfway through the ride, because I was stuck in a gear, um, my legs were just shattered after that, just a training ride. I've, I've been there. The same thing happened to me yeah. after after Bike Rumor came to Taiwan during a bike ride with Bike Rumor. And so we were coming, luckily was on the descent back from our 140K ride that day. Mm-hmm. But I was riding about 20 kilometers with only two for my front chain ring, so two gears. Yeah. And so, yeah, it left me pretty... Tired to say the least, and also I had the same thing happen to me in Challenge Bouquet two years ago. The same shifter after it had been repaired, I had a break, and a local shop was able to miraculously heal it in time. Uh-huh. And so I was back on the race course that weekend. But it is an issue of we want to be able to have the option for replaceability. And if you look at the current super bikes in the market right now, you're limited to the parts that are spec to their bikes, right? And that's not always a good thing, yeah. It, is, it, it might make a faster bike, and we we completely admit that that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Going proprietary equals to streamlining the, the shapes and making things optimal. But that also comes with the cost of if something ever goes wrong, then I've got to wait for Canyon or these other suppliers to ship me the parts. Right. And that, that may not be a fast turnover. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went into the bike shop with my shifter, and I said, I want to go analog all the way <laughs> with this thing. Until this event's over, you know, while I'm training for this thing. I do not, I cannot risk this thing ever breaking again. And we put on a regular friction shifter, not even an index shifter, but just a straight up, wherever you put the lever, that's where it is. Uh, It worked really well. And it worked. (laughs) It worked worked wonderfully. And I'm used to it now. And I kind of don't want to change, except I I, want to get electronic shifting. But the... um, because the lever's all hanging off the bike, you know, Mm -hmm. at the the front, where I don't, that's not very aerodynamic. But the... um, um, oh, speak a little bit about the uh, uh, what people's perceptions, and then also the reality of, of uh, disc brakes on bikes. Perception, 
of course, yeah. is negative by many people. Um, we always have, we get emails occasionally asking for, oh my gosh, I really want disc brakes. I saw the legend. I want I want your bike. Yeah. But then you go to online forums and people are completely bashing the even UCI going to road bike road discs. Oh, I and saw so a you, thread you've about got, that. You've today. got a cons- you've got a consensus <laughs> of yeah. disc brakes are slower. Disc brakes aren't going to help the bike. Disc brakes are terrible and they make a bike look terrible. And it's 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 a two side argument and everybody's got their advantages for both. I think it's where the market's going to head, and in three to four years, you're going to see only disc brake bikes for road, and of course, that's going to have to fall on triathlon, because nobody wants to own two sets of wheels. Yeah. And so, it is going to come. The question is, who's going to be the first manufacturer to bring the most aerodynamic caliber to the market? Mm-hmm. And that's the next step. Of course, I could, I've got friends who can design it for me, but I don't have the capital to, sit, to invest his development time and the R&D that's going to go into making such a system. Right. So, it's really going to come down to Arshimal and SRAM and these other companies, are they going to develop Something's gonna fit inside the fork, like actually from the inside, not just post off the mount, off the back. Uh-huh. It's gonna fit inside the chain stays, and that's gonna be the most optimal designs. And so that's what's gonna have to come. But the question is, when and who is gonna be the first one to get there? So I think it is gonna come in the in the beginning. It's gonna be a little bit more difficult because we're gonna be objective to disc brakes. I think there's a lot of things that need to improve. Of course, disc brakes are phenomenal, but they also do have their, their setbacks, such as alignment, rotor alignment. Right. And they're a little more fickle, and so you have to ex- learn how to adjust these things. And so for the new traffic or road convert, it's going to be a little bit hard for them to adjust and learn how to adjust their caliper on their own. Because yeah. it's something most non-bikers are familiar with, but if you're coming from a non-disc background, you don't know how to do this yourself. Yeah, I noticed that with my mountain bike, that um, I had to learn what was going on with that, because it would drag a little bit until I started kind of figuring that out. And uh, like a quick wheel swap, right? If yeah, Like you're saying, you have to have disc wheels. If you're swapping out Correct. a disc, then you got to put a disc on, and then it has to line up. With Correct. That. Yeah. So and there are some some discrepancies, and I think there's ways around that. Unfortunately, my friend owns patents on the way around that, and that's going to be a two a two stage piston uh-huh. lever where the first push is a massive engagement, right? And the second is, is a micro engagement. In other words, you can have the pads a lot wider stanced, and the first pull will, will engage the pads to a lot to being the normal separation of a normal setup right now. Right. And from there, it's micro adjustments to get the, the power you need. Yeah, I could see that working. So right. I think these are the solutions to the disc market that's going to make you know, the pads have a, a, a bigger opening rather than 0.2 millimeter or whatever tolerance it's going to be. Yeah, it's really you're tight. Gonna have a lot bigger, you're going to have a lot bigger tolerance in the future, which will allow easier switches. Yeah. And I, I could see even um, one thing that people aren't thinking of, but like the first thing that came to my mind with, with uh, the culprit bike is the uh, the culprit legend is oh i could um let's say you're you're not totally convinced you know about the whole aerodynamic thing you could run rim brakes on the front and disc on the rear (laughs) of that bike and then you have um yeah your rear brake isn't your like main brake but you got it as correct uh so you keep your hand um kind of relaxed your right hand uh while doing (laughs) long long descents and you can alternate kind of back and forth and then you got your front nice and clean um, like people perceive is faster. Surprisingly, though, we found because we designed the bike more around disc brakes right now. Of course, we know we're going to go back and do some final tweaks uh-huh. to the frame. Yeah, and that's still in development right now. We're still doing more CFD runs as we speak to get optimized in those areas we found we can improve the bike. Mm-hmm. But we did find in our testing the disc brake version out tested the our rim version. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's because if you look oh. at the fork, yeah, there's so much more air clearance going through the fork. 
because you don't have to worry about the calipers and, and the bolting position of the calipers, and you've got a lot more clearance yeah. in the fork, and you get a lot more stance in the fork as well. So it, it did not surprise us that much, but of course we want a rim brake bike to be equally as fast. Yeah. And we're still, we're, we're still working on that because we do know the fork cover, the magnetic cover uh-huh. is not optimized, the, the shape of the cover. So we're still developing that right now as well. That is really and interesting because if you do look at, I've noticed that, if you look at a, a standard caliper brake, um, you know, even on an integrated front end bike, the, the the way the brake pads are angled, and yeah, the how close they have to be to the rim, it is creating a lot of drag in there. So, huh, interesting. So what we did find is the yeah. as across the all the yaws, uh huh, the the legend is one point eight or one point nine arrow watts slower than the P five with disc brakes. So if you think about that, I mean, 1.9 watts is not a lot of <laughs> difference. That's including disc brakes across all the sweeps yeah. of a P5 and our Legend disc brake. Oh, wow. That, so what, you said 1.9? 1.9 arrow watts. That's, let's see, I think over an Ironman, that might be like, um, like maybe like 10 seconds or maybe a minute or something like that. But then how much but faster not, you could go down? You go down yeah, because you're, you're saving yourself modulation and strength and you've got a lot more return wow. of that speed. That's crazy. Yeah, because you, you just feel so much safer going downhill because you, when you need to bite into the brakes, you got them. Yeah. You're, with disc brakes, I can imagine you're probably on a hilly course. You're probably uh, over an Ironman? My gosh, you're probably going uh, several minutes faster. I bet mm. because of the confidence that you've got, and um, and just not, yeah, I've, eh, you know, a minute or two. So it's definitely a wash if that's if that's the watts. <laughs> really interesting, cool, huh? I know, I know. One thing, people are asking, of course, you know, kicks why sh- the Kickstarter. Let's talk about the Kickstarter pricing. Mm-hmm. You know, two thousand dollars, of course, is not a cheap bike, but but. We are including, of course, free shipping for the bike globally. We're including a tri-kit. If you look at our campaign, we're actually including a custom kit from Nimbleware, their top level, a short sleeve jersey, tri-suit and shorts. Mm-hmm. And we're putting, allowing you to put your name on the kit as well. So yeah. that'll match the bike perfectly. We're going to have kits, bike, and then, of course, the multi-tool and the brakes included. So even if somebody goes and looks at you know the new Felt IA 16 frame or, or whatever competitors are, we're bringing out our best layup for this price. It's not going to be... A, th- a second or third year version of this bike being brought to market. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention. Uh, just going back to uh, road bikes, we were talking about disc brakes on road bike. You know, regular road bikes. Correct. Yeah, I would totally. If I was getting a new road bike, I'd totally get disc brakes on it. Because most of the time on the road bike, you're you're riding in a in a draft situation. You know, anyway, and and um, so much more depends on handling on one of those. It wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even think twice about it. I, I've got a friend that got one. What did he get? He was thinking about getting a road bike with uh, disc brakes. And I was all over him about it. I was like, you got to do that. <laughs> Lives in San Diego, where it's real hilly. Mm. And I said, yeah, you'll love that. Um, and yeah, so a lot of the top-end road bikes now are getting disc brakes. Um, so your Kickstarter, uh, is there different, there's different levels of participation? or how you? How there's going to be, like, of course, we're going to have just a thank you gift. Somebody who wants to come and say... I want to support your company with the, towards the goal. For that, we're giving out a, a carbon ruler. Mm-hmm. It's actually a 3K carbon weave a ruler with our logo on it and the measurements. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, after that, it's just going to be frame sets and frame set plus handlebar stem. Yeah. So we're actually offering 40% off to the first 10 of a frame set and 10 handlebar stem frame set. Oh, man. And then we go 35% off and then 30% off. And then after that, everybody's going to be 25% off. And so, I mean, our retail is set at 34.95. Is that okay. right? 
Hold on. I need to go back. Let me check the campaign. <laughs> One minute. I don't have everything memorized. People say, you said on this podcast, you know, that it was this price. Check. Um, how hard, what, while you're looking at that, how hard is it to get a Kickstarter project going? I don't know if we've been approved yet. So <laughs> <laughs> so you don't really know yet. I can't tell you until it's for, for sure. I mean, so they have I know to approve it. They have to go through and check everything. It's not like a thorough check, but they do want to make sure that you're not a fraud and that there's that they support what you're trying to do. Yeah. And so, of course, I mean, I've spent weeks piecing this together, of course, mm-hmm. but it's been more than that in development of the whole bike, so it's definitely not an easy process. Right. That's going to be... I, I mean, it takes them two or three days to prove, so we're hoping to get everything submitted by Sunday or Monday, and then hopefully we, they can confirm by Wednesday yeah. or Thursday that it's it's Okay. Yeah, people go through the same thing with podcasts. So you you create a podcast. I, I get a lot of people asking for help with making their first podcast, mm. and I say just record a test podcast that's only mm. a couple minutes long, and saying what you're going to talk about, mm. and then publish that, submit it to iTunes, and wait a week <laughs> for mm. them to get around to it. And while you're waiting, start recording your second podcast, mm. and uh, because that's how because they're fickle about it for the. Um, Rewards. For the frame sizes? Yes. And so are you doing how many frame sizes at first? We're going to launch the 52, like the small, medium, and large as the first Kickstarter goal. Uh-huh. And then the second goal is going to be the 48 and the 58. Mm-hmm. And then the last goal is going to be a 650C. Oh, okay. A 650. Cool. So a lot of bike companies won't make a 650. Are you are you seeing that as like a women's and smaller, like a smaller adult, a kid size or something? Or It's more... I would say it's more of a small, smaller adult and uh, a, a teenager because we find you can go online and find that Marina Carefree has a has a feature about how f- much better 650C is. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know when the Felt IA came out, she's on a 700C. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so she looks kind of funny on that thing. I think there's a purpose for both, and I think yeah, I, mean, I agree. It really comes down to fit. And we believe strongly in fit is important. So if if a 650C is the right fit, it really doesn't matter whether you think it's going to be easier to get wheels on this and that. The, the, the faster bike is the one that's going to fit you properly. Yeah. I know as tall as I am, sometimes I wish there was a 750. Because <laughs> I, like I look like a bear on top of a beach ball with these things, with the bike. I know uh, Jan Ferdino looks kind of the same, where the wheels look, it looks like a normal adult riding a 650 because we're getting so mm. tall on these. So I wish there was a bigger wheel, but I guess we're kind of stuck with it. Do you like the black and yellow bike? Yeah, that's really cool. Looks and good. painted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our original, our first backers are going to be 20.95 for a frame set. And then those, so it's just incrementally jumping. So it's 10 people with that price for frame set only. Then 22.75 for 25 people. 24.47 for frame set. Yeah, for 25 more people. And then it goes twenty five fifty is the price for frame set plus handlebar stem, the first buyers. Twenty seven ninety seven is the frame set handlebar stem for twenty five backers. And then the normal pricing then jumps up to twenty six twenty one for the frame set. Okay. And that's for all the way through to the end of the campaign. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be thirty one eighty five for handlebar stem. Oh, well, still that's really competitive pricing. Mm. compared to the competition. so it's, you know, Like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time on the layup because we want this to be as light as we possibly can st- without losing structure. Right. So it's going to be it's going to be the same level as your felt IAFRD type layup and your you know, the Argon 18E119 Plus Tri version. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of layup we're, we're seeking to get after in that price point. Yeah, those are real high-end bikes <laughs> for people that don't know. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, really high-end. And um, yeah, one thing, like the the uh, tube layout and geometry uh, 
of the culprit looks a lot like the, the front end to me it looks a lot like the argon which is a, just a gorgeous bike and uh, and so yeah another thing you um you've said is uh color options right correct we're gonna have seven options for kickstarter that's crazy so um which one do you think is going to be the most popular in your bike experience i honestly think it's going to be black on black yeah people are into that people still like the subtlety of it yeah stealthy but again i mean the cuts all came out really nice and even if someone wants custom we're, we're going to offer 200 upcharge through kickstarter for that and that'll come out after the campaign as well as people are going to commonly ask, why aren't you, why aren't we offering complete bike builds? Mm -hmm. And that's because we don't know Shimano's new spec until next year. You know, we're still waiting to hear about the new Shimano stuff. Right. So I'm not going to offer a complete bike build with parts that might not be available or they're not the newest available on the market. Yeah. As well as, you know, it's going to be a one-year delivery time, unfortunately, or 11 to 12 months. And we don't want to take your money for that long from you. So <laughs> we can, you know, take it, take just the frame set, the parts that we need to get the molds open that. And then when we get closer to... A delivery date and we need to know you this is how long we need to order the shimano on stock here's the part we, how much we need from you they're gonna come out we're gonna tell you build options including you no know, wheels we were talking to reynolds and, and zip for mm -hmm. disc brake wheel options to come and then we we're also talking to you know are doing our own wheels for a lower price point hmm. so we do have a few options and of course we're gonna be looking at SRAM etap for one build then we're gonna go to shimano for the rest um the same bike frame can be either rim brakes or disc brakes is that true the price is the same for rim or disc correct okay but so then will after after the campaign you will specify which version you want to order okay um but once you have one you can't switch it to the other though right we can do an add-on purchase later for a second fork and paint the same colors oh but the rear triangle can do either the rear triangle is, is both correct it's just the fork it's just is the compatible fork. to one or the other oh okay that's pretty cool all right, well, I think we've covered it from one end to the other. <laughs> so, uh, you have anything else that we haven't touched on? Um, one feature is the. If you, did you watch the videos of the cave routing? Um, maybe the not. Feet, the, there's two bike videos on the on the Kickstarter that show actually how the bike overviews of the bike. Yeah. If you watch at the very end, it shows you how the handlebars come apart. So you talk about the stem inside the stem. Right. So if you look at the way that the rim brake version works, the new TRP has a really easy wedge design. Yeah, I did see that. I saw the brake working. That was and really so nice, cool. Yeah, and and our stem does have a, a cable stop in it, so that's a nice thing. But we we also realize people are not going to use that stem design for the brake. Okay. And so if they're using a normal, if they're using another stem where they want to do it externally, it'd be the same way as the disc car, the disc version fork has the cable rod design. So okay. it'll come out of the out of the handlebar and it'll go into the cover okay. from underneath. Okay. So either way, it's not going to be an issue whether somebody's running, you know, a full housing all the way through to the caliper. Uh -huh. And TRP, TRP makes that brake as well. So if you look at the BB brake, that's mm -hmm. using full housing, and then there's a stopper on the brake. Right. And the front brake, I just happen to get two different samples from TRP because they're the very first CNC samples this brake. Uh -huh. The front one is a, just a cable only, and the rear brake is a cable stopper option. Okay. So they're two different models, and, of course, the customers can specify when they order this what they want for their build. So they want to run... A different stem option in the future then we can put that different caliper on there oh cool okay yeah i saw that it's a cool video with the the break in action and i watching it i was like that's that's uh it was really simple <laughs> it's a really clean design so yeah. I mean, it's not the it's not the lightest break it's not as light as maybe a tri rig but i think the the, the function is going to be as good if not better yeah the function was and really it's cool just, it's just a really easy i mean it's just amazing that how easily you can take that off without damage because the biggest question i always have is when you release a break is you're going to damage it or you're going to strip out the cable and have to refeed a whole new cable through the bike for travel. Yeah. 
and that doesn't because you just have to release the wedge and you've got all that cable pull you can release and take with you for travel yeah yeah i know my rear so. brake on the um on the bmc is uh you know it's under the bottom bracket mm. that thing a lot of people complain it's a disaster to try to work with i have to deflate my tire to get my um, rear wheel off and on <laughs> well that's because your rims are too too narrow yeah it's uh it's, if you if you ride a wider rim that you don't need to do that like essentially if you're riding a 25 rim and you're riding 25 tires and you don't have that problem yeah i know but i mean that's the rim i got you know <laughs> so well, just, but but uh flipping the whole thing upside down and getting all up in there is kind of a pain and uh anyway so not fun but, any other features uh, you asked about um last thing hold on seat post is richie designed the wedge um Brakes, rim brakes are compatible. All the, I mean, pretty much all the features are on the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that would be worth noting would be, I think, yeah, um, the the frame fits of 28 tires. That's a big thing. A lot oh, yeah. of a lot of road bikes are 23 or 25, and we designed up to 28 because we realize more so for the rear, people like to add the extra comfort in the back, mm -hmm. and so you can fit 28 in both front and rear, which is pretty uncommon for tri bikes these days. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it makes a difference for sure. Well, cool. Well, thanks for being on the air with us. Absolutely. Appreciate your time. Yeah, man. And uh, good luck. And maybe you can you can drop in in a few months and tell us how it's going. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's good results. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. It's a good looking bike. So. All, right. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Joshua Culp. And I just saw in my news feed that the Kickstarter project is live. It's up there for you to check out. Go and check it out. The link to it is on zentrathlon.com. And let's go ahead and get started with the training log. But first, we need to name off some show supporters and a couple of emails. All right, you can help support Zen and Yard of Triathlon by going to zentrathlon.com and on the left-hand side, uh, signing up for the donations. You can do one time. You can do recurring. And here are some folks. Jimmy Radford sent in a note. And said, uh, hope you are well, and congrats on the Ultra Baby. I listened to the podcast, and it's great stuff. Exclamation point. Oh, by the way, I always say exclamation point if somebody puts it in there. I have a math question for you. Math is maximum aerobic. I always say threshold, <laughs> but it means function. Pay attention. All right, question for you. I recently just moved to a place where it's nothing but hills. I was having success running math on a somewhat flat course. Now, with the hills, my heart rate shoots up when I'm running the hill at a very slow pace, even. <clears throat> I added the even. Got any tips I can apply? Question mark. All right. So the problem is, is when you run uphill, your heart rate's going to start climbing like crazy. And if you're running uh, math where you're basically controlling exertion by keeping your heart rate down and not going too hard, basically long sessions with you don't let your heart rate climb, then, uh, well, now this is counterproductive, right? Because you're going uphill and your heart rate climbs up and it's exhausting you and messing up your uh, math training. Okay, so two things for you. Don't take math training so seriously. And three, if you are going to do this, then, because uh, I say don't take it so seriously, because, man, you need to run hills. And somebody that runs where it's hilly is going to be a better runner anyway than some place where they run where it's flat all the time. But if you want to get your math in, get your math on, then a thing you're going to have to do is find a local track or a flat road. So I used to live in Birmingham, Alabama when I was a kid. And you, if you wanted to find a flat place to run, you would go to the local high school, Vestavia Hills High School, and run on the track. 
and that would give you a nice flat area. So search out tracks, middle schools, high schools, uh, even elementary schools have little dirt tracks and just run loops where it's flat. And then also look for flat roads in town and run along those. So places where it's usually flat would be roads that run alongside a, a riverside park or a creekside, uh, streamside park. Usually have flat trails and get used to running loops, man, <laughs> to get that flat in and just minimize the hills. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's your tip for the math training. Math works until you need to run hills, but hills work too. So mix them up, do both. All right, uh, Tom McPherson sent in a note and said, just started listening to your podcast about a week ago and I am hooked. Sorry about that. Great information in a relaxed setting. Can't get enough and you will be seeing more support from me. Cool. Uh, tried out some maple syrup yesterday on a run and couldn't believe how well it sat and how strong I felt. Keep up the good work. All right, so thank you, Tom. And check this out. There was an article I saw just the other day about... Uh, different alternative fuels and okay so one thing you don't want to get crazy with alternative right because mainstream is mainstream for a reason because it works but maple syrup is about the most mainstream alternative fuel fuel that I've ever seen it's kind of like honey it's even better than honey so it's a uh, simple sugar so it gives you that quick and reliable energy that you need but it actually acts pretty slowly and it's good for longer stuff because it doesn't tend to go bad in the stomach after a while like uh, all the fructose stuff does and there's something else um well there's like a million reasons why you want to do uh, maple syrup i'm trying to think of uh some of the main reasons but one it doesn't go bad two it's not sticky but i'm already on like number reason number five and just all around it's like really awesome and oh i know the main the main thing is it's a simple sugar so it uh it gives you that energy you need but it's kind of a slow release uh simple sugar now it's nowhere near as slow as something like i guess like you can or something like that but it's nowhere near as fast as gatorade i drank some gatorade the other day before uh, and then during a workout and i was bouncing off the walls which is awesome but that comes with a consequence later on so you don't want to be amped up like you just smoke crack. You want to just feel good and not uh, not like you are uh, just found your meth stash or something. And Gatorade does that to me and probably does that to a lot of people where you get a lot of energy, but then you, then you crash. And um, when uh, I've done long workouts with maple syrup, you, um, you have just steady energy. And then if you overfuel, you can tell. And then, but then you don't feel sick, sick like you do with some other stuff. You're just like, uh, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe I ate too much. So I'm just going to drink water for a little bit. And then you feel fine again. No, like, real sick feeling, you know? Uh, no toxic feeling. Uh, and I would say, like, one sip of maple syrup will give you energy for, like, 20 minutes. And I'm talking, like, a little sip. Give you good energy for about 20 minutes, maybe longer. And uh, a sip of Gatorade, the equivalent amount of calories in Gatorade would give you energy for like 10 minutes and then crash. 10 minutes and then crash, like that. Okay, now, let's see. And that's just my experience. Everybody's different. Gatorade may be the best thing you've ever discovered. There's a reason why it's mainstream. I mean, in general, it works. But when you're going long, uh, people tend to have problems with it, possibly. Okay, let's see. Brett Hoyer 
sent in a message and a uh, not a message. He sent a donation. Thank you, Brett. Best first name ever. Uh, Simon Wright, Neil Price, Connor Sanders. Let me roll up this window. I got this truck that pulled up next to me that's uh, just idling its diesel, <laughs> which is annoying me. There we go. And let's see. Connor Sanders, Richard Stewart, Hun Chu. What's up, Hun? And James Godek and Megan Smothergill. <laughs> That's an unusual last name. I have never heard that last name before. That's pretty cool. And she sent in a message and said, I'm so impressed with your ultra baby! Exclamation point. Also, how you balance all the aspects of your life and keep it zen. Thanks for the podcast, Megan J. Uh, yeah, well, the only reason I manage to keep it balanced is by zen. <laughs> I think I found zen... Uh, trying to keep it all balanced. I found it kind of after I started doing triathlon. I did triathlon, started training for triathlons, and started listening to podcasts, and then came across Zen Podcasts, and then uh, listened to a few of those. And I was like, holy cow, this can change my life. And it did. And here we are today. All right, Brian Kemper, Matthew Heinz, Todd Nelson, Spiros Fetsis from Libertyville, Illinois. Check him out. He's got a cool triathlon shop up there. And Jason Drury, Jessica Woodruff, Dan Machia, Allison Frutos, Matthew Froes, M. Webb. Man, M. Webb has been a longtime donor. Thank you so much. Uh, Erica Dennison and Peter Salzen and Tyler Moyer. Thank you. And let me give a, uh, a shout-out to uh, Amrita Bars and Hornet Juice while we're here. Okay, so Amrita Bars, long-time sponsor of the show. And while I tell you about it, let me see if I can pull up an email because there's a new thing. There's like an Amrita Club. And by the way, I love Amrita gear. It looks so cool. And people identify you immediately as part of the Am- Amrita gang. And, uh, yeah, really, really cool-looking gear. And... Anyway, you can get 15% off of ordering Amrita stuff with discount code ZEN, all capital letters Z-E-N, at amritahealthfoods.com. Their uh, pride and joy is our uh, Amrita bars, A-M-R-I-T-A, by the way, Amrita. Not like John Hurst says, Amrita. He's got it wrong. It's Amrita. And it's, uh, oh man, it's so good. It's made by family. It was made to uh, help their son with uh, food allergies and food sensitivities, and this stuff is made to eat uh, before workouts, during workouts, after workouts. Um, the flavors are incredible. I had a pineapple, what was it? No, I had a mango coconut one this morning. I mean, come on, that's crazy. Mango coconut, does it get any better than that? And uh, really smooth on the stomach, uh, easy to eat, good snack. Sometimes you're out on a long bike ride and you're hungry, um, but you just want something to kind of like uh, chew on and fill your stomach and you're tired of all the fake crap, well, Amrita Bars are all natural, all good stuff. Again, 15% off with discount code ZEN, Z-E-N. And let me see. I got an email from the owner of the company, Arshad, and he said something about this uh, this club that he wants to let people know about. And let me pull it up. Because I sent him an email just for no reason because I love Amrita Bars. And I just said, hey, just wanted to let you know uh, the Ultra Baby rocked and I used Amrita Bars. And thank you so much for supporting me because I was in the Boy Scouts and they taught us 
to be polite and thankful. And it's Thanksgiving. So um, he said in December on the podcast, can you mention that uh, you can do Amrita bars two for $3 as a simple offer, but there's an Amrita club. We are updating the programs. We'll have three choices, five bars, 15 bars, and 25 bars. And then the offer would be free try or cycling top with every club offer. What do you think? Oh, he's asking me. Holy crap, I owe him an email. I need to tell him. <laughs> I think that's great, man. I love my I love um, Amrita cycling kit. Oh, the uh, bibs, the bib shorts and the top. So you just get the top, man. It's black. So you look pro. And then it's got these kind of rainbow colors on it, like world champion rainbow colors, but as leaves on a lotus plant. Because it's... Uh, it's uh, Arshad, is Arshad from India originally? I'm trying to remember. I don't want to get people's countries wrong. I'm sensitive like that. And then, let's see, we need to mention... Well, anyway, go join that club. Go check them out, amritahealthfoods.com. I'm going to email Arshad after I get off the air here and tell him yes, and I just mentioned it on the air, so get it rolling. And then the next thing is Hornet Juice. <laughs> the amount of emails I get from people that try Hornet Juice and it blows them away is crazy. So Hornet Juice is a protein powder. It's an amino acid that you add to your uh, workout fuel. And it's a ratio of certain amino acids that is the same ratio that was found in the Japanese killer hornet. And that is why they call it hornet juice. And it's, uh, these amino acids in their saliva is used to digest, uh, to kick off their digestion or metabolism of body fat. And the Japanese killer hornet is the farthest flying for its weight. It's a really, it's called a giant hornet for a reason. It's a big fat insect. And for its weight, it can fly farther than anything else, go farther than anything else without eating. And how does it do it? Well, it's metabolizing, you know, body fat, fat for fuel. Talk about metabolic efficiency. So anyway, in a lab, they figured out the ratio of amino acids that best, it just goes to show, man, you want to do something right, just look to nature. Nature's been around for billions of years. <laughs> Ask how it's doing it. And then just replicate it, you know? And so in the lab, they said, how is this doing this? They figured out it's these certain amino acids. And then they put it to work in a formula and gave it to athletes. And the athletes said, holy crap, I feel like I'm flying. And I don't need to eat anywhere uh, near as much food to feel this good. And I've used it on crazy, crazy, crazy long workouts when I did the Ultra Baby on uh, day one and day two. I used uh, Hornet Juice in my fuel. I didn't use it on day three. Maybe that's why my run was so much slower. And then uh, uh, just finished the day just feeling fine. Just amazing, you know? Not even that sore. It was crazy. So, Hornet Juice is awesome. You can go to the... Oh, is it on the left or it's on the right-hand side? But anyway, you can scroll down Zen Triathlon and see the purple and yellow logo. And it's got the Hornet Juice uh, items on there. And you go over there and you click on that. And then you pick. Do you want a 10-pack? Do you want a... 20 pack do you want a 30 pack and uh are you crazy man you want a 50 pack and i can tell you that people get the 10 pack and then they email me and ask for more the repeat orders are like okay because you get you get a better deal for your dollar you know when you order more because it's a little bit more bulk and it comes from new zealand and uh you then have my email address and you can send me a note and um, get your name mentioned on the show if you want. If you want to talk, send me an email with exclamation points in it. So I'll say exclamation point. And it's all a good time. And then you get something that's really cool for you. 
right? It'll make your workouts way better. And it's also makes your workouts more fun. And it's something you can show off to your friends, you know, Hey, I've got this stuff. And they'll say, is that some kind of sex drug or something? And you go, no, Brett said on Zentri to not use this during sex. You might damage your bedroom if you try to use this during sex or those around you. (laughs) So it's not for sex. It's for working out on a bicycle or in a pool or running out in the street. So don't do that. And then also um, you get to support Zentri, Zen and the Art of Triathlon, because every purchase you make, a little tiny bit of it goes to the show. And man, we need help over here. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we need so much help. Oh, Kai's killing me with wanting Garmin's and bikes. And and, uh, I'm, I'm having to reinvest in a whole bunch of bike stuff lately. And it's killing me. And the show takes a lot of time. I'm on my lunch break, you know? I'm supposed to be inside at Freebirds eating a burrito. But I wrapped up my burrito early and came out here to record this in my car in the parking lot because I love triathlon so much and I want to see a world where everybody is doing triathlon, including you, and doing it easily and with fun. And it takes time and money. So a little bit of that goes back to the show and keeps us on the air. Every time I threaten Emily with, man, I'm not going to make this show anymore. She goes, you better make that show because we got an electric bill to pay. (laughs) Just kidding. Sort of. All right. That's it for uh, the Hornet Juice little segment right there. And uh, yeah, you can get it on zentrathlon.com. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the training log. Got a lot of fun stuff in there. I forgot to mention also in there is um, we go camping with the Cub Scouts and I sit by a campfire and talk about uh, life in general. It's pretty cool crackling of the fire. It's pretty neat. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the training log. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Hunelli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey. We all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! All right, welcome to a new training log. Start date. Let's see, let's look at the Garmin 920 XT. Thursday, November 19th, 7.37 in the morning. Leaving the pool. It was 47 degrees this morning when I woke up. Steam rolling off the pool. Posted a picture on Instagram. My swimsuit is steaming, (laughs) as I put it into the rooftop box of my Nissan Xterra and getting into the Zentri Mobile Studios. Let's drive to work, W to the ERK. A lot going on because I am super stoked to be back and recording the training log. Got some swim tips for you, how to have an awesome swim workout. But uh, real quick, I'll probably mention at the beginning of the show too, at the top of the show, is, uh, man, it took me like two, three weeks to put out an episode at a time because of the ultra baby recovering from that and just taking time off so that, uh, I can get my legs back under me and my hormones (laughs) back under me and just kind of rest and relax, you know, and I coach and I work, got a lot of stuff. I had a big bunch of stuff going on at work and also with Kai, um, picking out a, a boy scout troop. So I got evening stuff and, uh, you know, just like a lot of stuff going on. And I allowed myself to get really into the stuff 
There's a high schooler walking with his monster energy drink, which is about the worst thing you could drink this early in the morning. And then um, they put a, either a high school next to a Walmart or a Walmart next to a high school here in downtown Bryan. Not downtown Bryan, but in Bryan, Texas. And, uh, boy, ugh. The, anyway, the... Uh, Oh, uh, trying to get rolling again and uh, trying to put the shows together. You know, putting together a show takes a ton of editing and compiling audio. And Ultra Baby was so big that I decided to put it into two different shows. And then the multi Bruins thing popped up. Uh, this guy is such an interesting story that I wanted to add that into a show, you know. So anyway, I'm behind. But now I'm back on track and I'm feeling great about it and so excited to be on the mic and rec- there's so much stuff that goes on that I want to record but I'm like I can't record because I'll never get out the other show <laughs> the previous show if I record more stuff so let's uh pick up with uh swimming um uh how to have a really good swim workout what is key is first uh well consistency right so you want to become a good swimmer you need to swim a lot and actually swimming's uh very low impact so you can swim a lot and a lot more harder I don't know. Anyway, but you can swim a lot harder uh, than you think, than you could running, for example, um, because your body doesn't get beat up swimming so much. You can injure yourself swimming. I've done it (laughs) several different ways. But in general, you can do more swimming uh, more consistently. So uh, you go swim a lot, but uh, you hop in the pool and you swim easy. Oh, and by the way, this works for biking and running as well. And you swim easy, and it'll take between 10 and 20 minutes usually uh, for you to start feeling. And with, you swim easy with no intention, like you're just gonna swim casual, and you gotta be patient. Just be patient, it's okay, I promise you. You're just gonna swim patiently and easily. And at first, swimming will seem kind of like a struggle, you know, because uh, you haven't been in the pool, and you're hopping in, and now you're swimming along, and your body's going, ah, oh, crap, what are you doing, dude? And, uh, you know, your breathing rate's high, you know, trying to catch up. After about somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes, and it depends on how much recovery you've had and how fresh you are, um, the more worn out you are, the longer it's going to take. But suddenly, and it's really cool, if you pay attention and you're mindful while you're swimming along just easily, all of a sudden you'll feel your body systems click over, is what I like to say. They just go bang like that. And all of a sudden, breathing becomes easier, form becomes easier, technique becomes easier. Um, it becomes way less of a struggle. And it suddenly, it happens over about 30 seconds to about a minute. You're like, what the heck, man? This is way better. And I look at my watch whenever it happens, and that's how I know in what kind of uh, stage of poor recovery I'm in and uh, what kind of help I need. There's an accident up here. Let's see, make sure Emily's not in it because she's driving the other way this morning. And, nope. Anyway, the uh, it was 18 minutes for me this morning. And I'm like, hmm, that's a little close to 20. So I'm a little tired probably if it takes 18 minutes for me to finish my warm up, right? And I'm just swimming along, just easy, just swimming easy freestyle, right? Single side breath, just cruising. Okay, now that's part one. Part two is now you swim along uh, now that you've clicked over until you swim along pretty easy until you can't stand it anymore, right? Now, that'll take a few minutes, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Oh, another accident. That's a bad sign. I'm going to go ahead and change lanes. 
whoa, that one just happened. That car's steaming. And uh, so you change lanes. <laughs> you change lanes. You stay in your swim lane. But you keep on swimming um, until you can't stand anymore. So that's about another five minutes. And you're like, man, I want to go faster. Well, you hold back. You keep holding back for a few minutes, right? Until you see the whites of their eyes, like Chaka Zulu. Those of y'all that know the movie, you got to check it out. And then you, uh, after a while, you're like, okay, I'm going to do an interval. Then you treat this interval like weightlifting. You go hard for about a minute, minute and a half. If you were going to do bench press or curls or squats, how long could you do a set for? Well, it's about 30 seconds to a minute, minute and a half, like 12 reps, you know, 15 reps. More than that, it's really not worth your time because you're trying to get stronger, right? And I'll tell you why in a second. And then um, you, for swimming, a really cool technique is you actually spread your legs and do not kick and let your legs hang. And that creates like a parachute, like a drag chute, like when you run and you're dragging a tire behind you. And now the torque that that transfers to your arms of having to pull yourself through the water will that, when you're trying to swim hard with that going on, and you're trying to grab and pull and push back behind you, um, that will create severe burn in your muscles just like you're doing like an upper body uh, weightlifting workout. And you'll be able to do that, let's say, for 30 seconds to a minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes, and it'll, it'll slowly start to burn, and then it'll burn more. We'll keep going with that burn. It'll burn more, and it'll burn more, and then all of a sudden, you'll feel your energy level drop right? Just like if you were lifting weights, you can only do like 12 reps and then all of a sudden you can't do another rep, right? Well, that same feeling happens in your arms and shoulders when you swim hard like that against that resistance of that drag chute. And all of a sudden your power just drops off. If you had a power meter on you, it would go from like 300 Watts just to like 150, just like that. That's when you're done. When that happens, you're done with your interval. You stop swimming wherever at the wall, the nearest wall and rest for a second and rest for like 30 seconds, rest for a minute and swim. Eventually, uh, what I like to do is walk across the pool or swim easy uh, elementary backstroke. Uh, super, super easy. And uh, you catch your breath and then uh, you start eventually after about a minute um, when you get feeling back in your arms then you go back to uh, swimming easy again. And when you're swimming easy again, uh, you repeat the whole process. You swim easy, you speed up a little bit, and then after about five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes, you can't stand it anymore. And you're like, I want to do another interval set. Let's go. <laughs> you're like, all right. And you do it again, right? And then throughout your, your workout, you do three, four, five and swimming, you might be able to do five or even six of these uh, as compared to running. Uh, biking, you could probably do a lot too. You probably do like four or five. And the um, it ends up being like a weightlifting set, but functional weightlifting that's actually going to make you stronger. You've spent uh, 45 minutes to an hour swimming, right? So it's building up your endurance. Um, and you've built up strength, and you've also built up top-end speed, which is huge. So many people don't do that, and they only wonder why they wonder why they only have one gear in swimming. It's slow, you know. Okay, now let me tell you why this is so important. Uh, there was a study that 
I was uh, listening to something a while back, and I already knew this. A lot of people know this, but it was so cool that a study proved it. Your first muscles to fail are your major muscle groups. Once those fail, so let's say your quads while you're running, right? So you need to strengthen them. You need to do strength training so you delay that failure. If you don't do strength, just brute strength, then you... um, if you do brute strength training, you'll delay the failure of that muscle group uh, to later in the race, right? And then later in the race, um, <clears throat> when that muscle group finally does fail, what happens is you fall back on little muscles that aren't the muscles you should be using. Now you're having to use like your little tiny, less effective stability muscles to uh, do the job and help out your major muscles that we're doing the job in the first place, but now have failed, right? Well, those stability muscles, they suck. <laughs> doing, or the, the wrong muscles for the job, to do the job, they suck at doing the job. And they're not going to work out very well for you. And that's when your form and your, um, and your speed just totally crash out, right? And you see this in your, in your uh, races and in other people racing or doing long workouts where... Uh, they're just they're starting to come apart and you can see it start running weird uh, running with a limp swimming real slow turnover because their their major muscles have failed so if you do this strength heavy hard work um, just like weightlifting then you're strengthening and beefing up the major muscles that you need to carry you throughout the race and if you make them strong enough they will never fail because if you work them at a really high intensity rate that's way faster than your race, way harder than your race, right? You're getting them to fail in a minute, in a minute and a half, several times in a row, right? You're never going to go that hard in a race. So you are tempering, like tempered steel, tempered glass, you are tempering your muscles to be crazy strong. And as long as you never approach that level of intensity in a race, which you shouldn't because races you go easier for longer, then your muscles will actually be able to sustain the load that you're giving them as long as you feed them with fuel. And you'll be able to go a long, long, long ways without your major muscles blowing up. And that, by the way, is one of the ways I train for Ultra Baby. It's pretty cool, huh? All right, that's it. I got to go into W to the ERK. We got some uh, work breakfast to do. Oh, I want to talk about Blue Apron too. I'll do that in a little bit. All right, out, bang. All right, we are back, I believe. Yes, we are recording. Okay. The uh, next thing I want to talk about is Blue Apron. So you hear all these ads for uh, Blue Apron where you order food. I'm about to tell you what it's actually really like. So the reason we started doing Blue Apron was uh, this pattern we were getting into, which I do not like at all, of uh, microwaving TV dinners and just eating... uh, uh, really super convenient food, which ends up getting lower and lower and lower quality. And but then somebody's got to go to the grocery store and get all the stuff and all these ingredients and everything. And I thought um, we would uh, <clears throat> try you know, this Blue Apron thing because the upside is you get meals and they're well-rounded healthy meals every meal seems to have some kind of really good industrial grade veggie in it mixed in with carbs protein all kinds of good stuff and you cook it 
yourself. So it would be like a meal that you would order at a restaurant. That's how fancy it is. But they're actually pretty simple. And you cook it yourself. And um, it makes, I guess you get different sizes. You know, so many meals per week. All That all kind of depends on what you get. And uh, they deliver it to your door. I think there's another service too, another brand that does it. But they deliver it to your door. And uh, you cook up, cook up a meal in like 20, 30 minutes. And then you have like a really fancy meal made out of real food with real ingredients. And uh, instead of going to a restaurant or doing packaged stuff that is um, uh, you know, loaded with grease and too much of this and too much of that, it's unhealthy over time. It starts to add up. So um, I said, let's go ahead and try it because we calculated out that... It's like uh, eight or nine bucks per person, but you don't eat a full meal. You know, you just throw the leftovers in the refrigerator and there's some hidden value in it, I'm about to tell you. So uh, first day it shows up, it shows up at your door in a box that's about two foot by two foot, maybe. It's got ice packed in the bottom for the meat and whatever else it needs to stay cold. Everything else is individually wrapped and this is for two big meals and the, um, it's got the produce is fantastic. Lots of produce, lots of produce inside, like insane, obscene amounts of kale and sweet potatoes, stuff like that in there. So that's all pretty good. And then, oh, what else does it have? Um, the little accoutrements that make a meal taste really good all comes with it. So your cilantro and parsley and spice blends and things like that. And very simple instructions with pictures on how to cook it. And uh, the very first thing, I kind of expected this, but I also, um, I mean, it became really apparent really quickly is basically you're going to learn how to cook. I already know how to cook. I love to cook, right? Um, but I don't know how to cook everything, you know? And if you don't cook often, you kind of forget like little things, man, you are going to cook and you are going to use a lot of your pots and pans <laughs> and cutlery and all kinds of stuff to get this done, you know? It's just I already know how to cook, so I'm not afraid of, and I kind of know what, what, what it means, you know, to say when it says do this and do that. I'm like, yep, I know how to do that. I dice this, chop up that, you know, put it in the oven for this many minutes, and I'll blah, 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 right? So we uh, um, pull in Kai to help us cook, and now we're really cooking with real ingredients from scratch, right? So when you do a squash or a sweet potato, you're cutting up that squash and dicing it and when you peel this and when you do garlic, it's a garlic clove from scratch. That from scratch you have to peel all the papery stuff off the outside, you know, the natural uh, uh, whatever that's called on the outside of a garlic clove, you know, and do all that. And um, I remember at, at, at one point Kai goes, Is that is is that what a squash looks like? And I'm like, What you don't know what a squash looks like? And then I thought, man, this is we totally needed this. We this is paying off big time, and um, I'm trying to think. Uh, what else was so cool about it? Oh well, there's a downside. It takes longer than it says it takes. I think if you've cooked the meal once before uh, recently, then yeah, you could probably do it really quickly because it's fresh in your mind on how to do it. And we're getting faster as we go along, but it's taking instead of 20, 30 minutes, it's taking 40, 45 minutes to uh, cook a meal and it's because of the preparation of the produce man all the dicing and chopping and the uh, peeling and the mixing and stuff like that that's actually time consuming 
So there's another upside with that downside, which is really cool, is um, when it takes longer for you to cook a meal, guess what you do? You start snacking. Well, now you're spreading out your calories so that you're snacking and snacking and snacking on just uh, not the food that's in the box, right? But the food that's um, just laying around your house. You have an apple here and a piece of cheese there and a glass of wine and another glass of wine and another glass of wine and the, no, just kidding. But the, uh, and some pretzels and hummus, right? You're just, you're just like uh, snacking on stuff uh, around. And then by the time the, the real meal is served, you're not going to just gorge yourself because you've been snacking. I strongly encourage this too. And this is a very um, historically accurate way to eat. And I think it's one of the reasons that uh, we've gotten fat is uh, we're served all of our food at once immediately. And you know that one of the tricks to uh, losing weight is to eat just a little bit and then wait a little while and try to spread it out, right? Well, when you are cooking a meal from scratch, it takes so long that you start snacking and you snack and snack and snack. And then by the time the real meal comes along, eh, you know, you eat about half of it and then you uh, put it away because you're not hungry anymore, right? So then you don't overeat at a single setting. And that's actually really cool. And I think it's really vital. So we've had, I think tonight will be our sixth meal. And you can go online at blueapron.com and, and check out the different meals that you get. And of course, if you're vegetarian or any of that weird stuff, you can get your um, a menu just for you. You know, uh, What shows up, is it always seems to be a surprise. It's something like we won't get the same meal for a year. <laughs> and um, I'm actually really enjoying it. I am not sponsored by them. Uh, I would like to be so far because it seems to be pretty great. And um, it's the energy around it is really neat. Like, uh, we're, Emily and I are texting each other and calling each other, um, whoever gets home first, you know, what's in the box? What, what kind of meals did we get? Right. And, uh, that's, that's pretty neat, man. So it's two, we're doing two a week and I'm cooking. If it shows up on Monday, I cook Monday and Tuesday and, uh, Emily cleans dishes and then, uh, I said Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. And then Wednesday and Thursday she'll cook. And then I'll clean up dishes and, uh, you know, cook whatever. And, um, yeah, it's got a lot of positive benefits as far as the family uh, cooking together. A lot of conversation. A lot of stuff happens in those conversations. A lot of talking about your day and planning and stuff like that. Eating together and then washing dishes together um, without it being the same boring, repetitive meal. So that's been my experience with uh, Blue Apron. Pretty interesting, huh? And uh, maybe you want to check it out. Maybe not. And uh, just uh, give it a try and give me a shout. Also, if you if you uh, use it and you like it, and I have I didn't mention something that you've noticed as well. All right, out, bang. All right, I'm here with Kai, and we're about to do a one mile, not a race. Well, it's kind of a race. You're doing a school project. We got to show five steps to something, and you decided to show. The five steps to a really good one, your best, your best one mile run, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you have on a Garmin 25, mm-hmm. uh, Garmin 25 running watch. You're going to, we've already on a Google Maps uh, drawn a one mile loop. So we're going to do loop. I'm on Emily's bike, which I'll describe in a moment. And you're ready to go, dude. 
and you're going to run and time yourself and then we're going to upload it to Garmin Connect and then you're going to print it out and take it to school and show a one mile run measured accurately with your time and a map. It's pretty cool. You ready? Did Jordy hit go? No. Okay, you ready? Go. All right, he took off. He's 11, so he's a freak for one mile. <laughs> he's already way ahead of me. I gotta catch up. <clears throat> so, I guess the getting old has begun where I'm, or being outshined. I need to be on a bike to keep up with my son running. And it's a beautiful day. Kai's running in the bike lane. And I'm just a few yards behind him. I'm going to yell some encouragement here in a second. Make sure you look both ways before you cross. It's not worth getting hit. It's just a school project. All right. Looking pro, bro. Looking good. How you feeling? Good. Thumbs up. All right. I'm on Emily's, uh, like, 1996 <laughs> uh, Raleigh uh, M40. It's a steel frame mountain bike with grip shift. Which I actually like grip shift a lot. I mean, I wish they were still around. I wish they were on the ends of aero bars. You could just click shift. They're really aerodynamic, I think. But anyway, the... Uh, got the bullhorn bars all right this is your left turn coming up correct car to the rear go ahead and cross over there you go all right how you feeling so we got Kai I got Kai this uh Garmin 25 actually is a motivation to get him out running more often because it's like the cheapest Garmin where you can uh, well it's the cheapest running Garmin I think and that will um, there's a 20 but the 25 will upload automatically to your phone and I figured the fewer steps the better and uh, how you feeling now? I heard a heavy breath over there Huh, your face is getting kind of red, dude. Oh, you better do it. This is worth a grade. You're looking good, man. Are you wearing all matching red and black on purpose? <laughs> Try not to make them laugh. And, uh... What was the other thing? Oh. Instead of, uh... I'll be quiet for a second. Instead of uh, sitting around and watching TV and playing video games, taking a gamble. Because uh, video games are great. We got the Star Wars Battlefront. That's pretty cool, you know? But everybody's human. And it's like... Is he one of these people that once he sees what he's doing, then he'll want to do more, you know? Like, um, running miles per week. And if it's uploading automatically, pretty much, then 
I can ask, how many miles have you run this week? He's like, oh, like three. I'm like, well, <laughs> you're not playing any more video games until you run a couple more miles, you know? Like, it's quantified, so we're not guessing, for example. So we're about halfway through. Gosh, Kai, this is such hard work, coasting. I don't know if I can handle it. I'm so old. <laughs> and uh, it's not, he's not being phased. We're coming up on kind of a busy intersection here, so we're going to have to be careful. But it's a friendly little neighborhood. Emily's back at home cooking the Blue Apron meal for tonight, little steaks. This is it, dude. One more turn up here where that car just turned in. That's your turn. This is your biggest hill right here. Is it starting to burn? No? You want to do the Kima Triathlon this year? You want to do the Kima Triathlon this year? Thumbs up. Yes. Are you using the hand signals from Ultra Baby? No? Hmm. So, so far, he's uh, using the watch a ton. He wears it every day. And a cheap Garmin, the 20 and the 25, actually makes a really good kid's watch because it's waterproof, right? So you don't have to worry about them wrecking it. It's actually really built, like, really tough. But an older kid that's that knows what it is and doesn't think that it's, like, a, just some junky thing. Like, I wouldn't give it to just any kid. Like, Kai knows that it's an expensive uh, GPS watch, so he takes really good care of it. It's the home stretch, dude. It's downhill. I would start sprinting. See that truck on the left? Oh, man. Listen to that. I hear panting. Oh. How do you get to be so good looking while you're running at the same time, dude? Look how strong you are, dude. Look at those strong shoulders. Look at those strong arms. Oh, <laughs> oh he's speeding up. You can do it, dude. You can do it. Why are you holding back? Why are you holding back, dude? Come on, there you go. There you go. Punch it when you get to the middle of the intersection. Go. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Let's look at it. Let's let this van go by. Let me see what you got. Come here. What'd you get? 723. 723? 
Holy crap, dude. That was pretty awesome. You got talent. Your face is all red. It's red as your shirt. I'm proud of you, man. How do you feel? Good. Can I interview you, sir, about your race? Yes. Yeah, so uh, what motivated you to come out here today and uh, perform this spectacular feat for uh, the fans? My ELA project. ELA? Yeah. English language arts? Yeah. I thought you spoke American. I do. <laughs> Y'all? All right, you ready to go get something to eat? Yes. What do you want right now? Breakfast burrito with 20 pounds of ice cream. Hmm, I don't know. How about a little bit of ice cream? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go back to the house. Good job, dude. I'm proud of you. All right, guys. I am sitting by a campfire. We're doing Weebelow's Woods, which is where you take your Weebelow's pack, which is Cub Scouts, to a big Boy Scout camp out with tons of Boy Scout troops. And you go round robin around and visit all the troops. You end up staying the night with one troop. But, I don't know, we visited a dozen different Boy Scout troops today to see. You're kind of audit auditing them, interviewing them to see if that's the troop you want to put your Cub Scout in when they go from Cub Scout into Boy Scouts. And um, it's been a really great day. It's cold. It's down around 30 degrees, maybe 35. And uh, I'm tending the fire while all the scouts in this one troop are uh, at the big campfire. So it's, it's about a three-quarters moon, two-thirds moon overhead. We're in the woods out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, beautiful fire. I doubt you can hear it crackle. That's what it sounds like. And uh, enchiladas for dinner. Had some chili. There's a crack. Chili with uh, uh, wild wild pig, wild hog, and venison, and uh, which is deer meat. And. Uh, all kinds of stuff that I won't get into. The whole scout culture is uh, really fun. I grew up, uh, I was a Cub Scout and then a Arrow of Light, a Weebelow, yeah, then Arrow of Light, and then Boy Scout, Order of the Arrow, um, and then all the way through Eagle Scout. So I've got, I don't know, how many years is that? 8, 10, 15 years of Boy Scout uh, running through my family and uh, and my brother's an Eagle Scout. My dad was an assistant scoutmaster and a cub master and Emily's brother and Emily's dad are Eagle Scouts. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. Um, my granddad was a life scout and saved a drowning kid and always had a a memorial plaque on his wall or an article in the paper or something like that. A, co a commendation from a local congressman, I think is what it was, for uh, saving somebody's life. But uh, the Scouts is really, really fun. And I guess in future podcasts, as we get into this, uh, as they go from Cub Scouts into Boy Scouts, you end up, the dads end up doing way more. And it's really humorous 
how the dads actually almost do nothing and the uh, the boys are it's a boy led troop where the boys lead themselves and then uh, uh, they eventually they they learn how to how to survive and then they become eagle scouts which is really cool um, hopefully and if not they still learn a ton of skills which is really nice so I'm tending uh, three campfires while uh, the um, they go off and uh, do a big super troop. There's like there's like ten fifteen troops here, big campfire uh, with ceremonies and skits and awards and all kinds of stuff. And so I, I wanted to just be nice and quiet. I was getting kind of tired. Uh, we've been here since early this morning, and oh, there was something else. Um, lots of back. I'm looking for a troop for Kai that does lots of backpacking and. And then you're looking for a good fit because as, as a dad, that also allows moms to come along. They all do. And as a dad, um, you're actually making sure that you get along with the other dads. and You don't have nut jobs that you don't like. <laughs> so a nice mix of dads that are um, cool and laid back and, and uh, don't, aren't overbearing so, so that the boys do the work. So they learn and they grow. And uh, also, so, um, but not lazy. So you got to keep the troop alive, you know, or else it'll peter out over the years. And um, it's funny, uh, having studied all this Zen stuff uh, after being in Scouts, watching what's going on, it's so Zen, it's awesome. The, the dads are basically Zen masters. And they purposefully, and the dads were all telling us, all the different troops, over and over and over again, every trip we went to, they let the boys fail over and over and over again so that they learn how to do it right. So it's kind of like a controlled failure <laughs> constantly on purpose. Um, but they just step in when somebody's about to break an arm or catch themselves on fire. Then they go, okay, you don't need to do that. But some kid will say, um, I'm really hungry. And then the dad will say, um, that's great. What are you going to do about that? The kid's like, uh, eat. Well, why haven't you eaten? And then the kid will say, well, um, I don't know how to cook my food. And he's like, well, maybe you should ask somebody to teach you. <laughs> will you teach me? No. <laughs> ask your patrol leader, which is an older scout. Ask your patrol leader when he's going to teach you. And he goes, okay. Like that. So... It's really, really funny. Um, over and over and over again. And I've, I've realized watching all this, because it's been so many years since I've been out of this. It's been, uh, I guess, 20 years, I guess. I was 20. Yeah, it's been 20-something years since I was in this environment. And, uh, and I was in a really good, really professional, huge Boy Scout troop. And uh, I was a patrol leader and quartermaster and all this stuff. And uh, it's really funny watching this it's it's a controlled failure in the outdoors right where everything can go wrong constantly and you strip away all creature comforts so you're cold or you're hot or you're being eaten by bugs and um, you're hungry right um and your tent is wet your clothes are wet you've got blisters and like all this stuff and it is so much like a, a Zen monastery where you have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You have nothing. And now the only thing you have is what you create yourself. And they do it once a month for a weekend. Uh, most Boy Scout troops go camping uh, one weekend a month. And it is, uh, I think, looking back now, I'm like, oh, now I know why I like the Zen stuff so much. It is so much like, um, and like the triathlon stuff, doing a triathlon race is you strip yourself down to almost nothing so that uh, now what, right? In fact, if I can remember off the top of my head, I was listening to Alan Watts, uh, the how and why of Buddhism. And basically, it had to do with if you find yourself, you can't find yourself on purpose because finding yourself on purpose, then you're not really finding yourself. He explained it better. But uh, you, you find out what makes you tick um, by uh, creating an environment where you're forced to find yourself and uh, that would be like doing an Ironman, right? You can't see what you're made out of just by looking at yourself, right? Because that's a, they say that's a, a snake with legs. It's like pointless because it's not the right environment. But you take away everything so that you're forced to struggle a little bit. And then you find yourself. You find out what you're made out of, right? When you're put in a hard environment. It's, it's when you have a hard decision that's when you find out what you're really made out of, right? When you're faced with fear, that's when you find out how you're brave, which ways you're brave and which ways you're not. And that's uh, what you're made out of. And then you build on top of that. Well, now you know what you're made out of. Now you're comfortable in your own skin. And now you know you can walk through life, at least for a while, a little bit more comfortably because um, you're confident and what tools you have and what tools you don't have, what you're good at and what you're not good at. You notice a mature, wise person will offer to do the things that they're good at and will decline the things that they're bad at and say, well, maybe I'm not the right person for that, right? Because they know they've been through it. They've been through the ringer. And that's why we do, one way to get there is uh, by doing endurance sports, is you... Or like wilderness survival camping, right? It's the exact same thing. You put yourself up against an unwinnable situation, a situation that really strips you down where you have to make choices and face your fears. And then you know what you're good at and then what you're bad at and where you have difficulty. And then you can walk through life and help others uh, with strength and with confidence and make decisions at work, at, at home, with your family, out in public, uh, with confidence and you can carry yourself uh, with a lot more and, and be able to do more and feel better about yourself, you end up being happier because you know what you're made out of, right? So like an extreme example would be a Navy SEAL at a public library or at a street corner, right? You can guarantee that that uh, Navy SEAL has um, a lot of confidence is very comfortable and just relaxed just reading the book at the public library or just standing on the street corner waiting for a cab right because he's been tested so much he knows what he's good at and what he's bad at and uh, isn't worried right and has doesn't have anxiety and is very happy and comfortable uh, because they've got their resources uh, that they know how to use and I think uh, one reason that I really like going on long bike rides for example 
is you're on a piece of machinery that could break down and you're out on the road where you could get hit by a car, you could have a flat tire, or starve to death or get dehydrated or whatever. Um, so you're in a very primitive situation that's very, uh, um, I wouldn't say do or die, but it could be. You know, it's a, it's a tenuous situation out there exposed in the elements on a long bike ride. And, uh, but you've got your tire change kit and you've got your fuel and your water and your helmet and a phone and uh, you're self-sufficient. And now you know you, you've got all the stuff and you know how to change a tire and you got a spare, spare tube and spare tire, whatever you need. And uh, you've got the materials to help yourself in case something goes wrong. And it feels good. It feels so good to be self-reliant. But you don't know that you're self-reliant until you've tested yourself. And that's what Alan Watts was talking about in that podcast. Uh, I think it's the essence or the history of Buddhism part four, about 9, 10, 11, 12 minutes in. He starts talking about that. It's really good. I posted it on Twitter, a picture of that podcast. And uh, yeah, so um, I'm sitting here at this campfire. Uh, even though it's 30 degrees outside, so that's about freezing. Um, I've got on one, two, I've got on four layers um, of thin stuff that I can shed or put back on, and gloves and a beanie hat. And I've got, I brought my own little, a little Ziploc bag of cashew nuts for extra calories in case I need them. And I know where the coffee is, and um, I'm happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> because I'm self-reliant and uh, that's happiness but I don't know if I didn't if I hadn't been just punished with being freezing my ass off sometimes and uh, now I know having been um, very cold and wet and, uh, and scared and in the dark and you know and alone um, in the elements i Having been through tough stuff, I, I know that what I do have will, is actually enough, right? And then I don't need any more, at least for a while. It ran through my mind uh, several times, like if something happened and I got stuck out here, you know, how long could I last? You know, like uh, with my little bag of nuts and uh, water, I know where the water is around here. I last for a few days, so in case something happens, um, I'm good for a few days, and uh, that's all I need to know. And then everything else is gravy after that. So anyway, I thought I'd record a little bit while I'm here by myself. Uh, straight from the campfire. Campfire talk. All right, that's it. We're going to have a peach cobbler and hand-cranked made ice cream in a little bit. <laughs> that's good stuff. Ah, oh, the Boy Scouts. Tomorrow is mystery eggs for breakfast, which... It's basically eggs, scrambled eggs, and plus whatever they can find and throw in there. So that's kind of funny. I like that one a lot. All right, a little more campfire sound, and then we'll sign off. Here you go. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up this show. I just left Freebirds eating a nice burrito. And my stomach feels really happy and I didn't have to cram down a whole bunch of calories because I was starving because I'm doing something that I'm really enjoying. I'm snacking on cashews. So when I went on this camp out, 
uh, actually maybe the day before I went on the camp out, I was like, uh, I'm going to start looking into healthier fats. What's a good thing? You know, nuts, of course, always. And then what kind of nuts? And then uh, I grabbed cashews at the gas station and also some trail mix. But then uh, I was Googling around on the cashews. Um, Nutrition Data is a uh, website that uh, if you just type in nutrition data and then the name of the food and sorry my nose is starting to itch and they uh and also you know just looking up some articles on cashews holy crap cashews are really really good for you the problem with uh you know you know eating fat and all stuff is a lot of fats have very little nutrition in them it's a lot of calories with not much nutrition so let's say you're doing the whole, you know, adding butter to your coffee. Uh, it's kind of questionable on whether that's actually good for you or not. <laughs> if you need butter, then of course it's good for you. But if you don't need butter, holy cow, that is not good for you. And the uh, the thought crossed my mind: Why not just eat some cashews and get your fat and uh, you know, and some nutrition, some healthy fats. And uh, then drink your coffee. And I did that this morning. And it was wonderful. With an Amrita bar, by the way, a little bit later. But um, you can get cashews at the grocery store from a bulk bin. And uh, get them flavored, different flavors and stuff. You kind of watch out for that. They, they add some crap to it to make it tasty. But in general, it's still pretty good. And cashews are two-thirds fat. Um, and then out of the other third... Uh, two-thirds of that is carbs, which is, really isn't much, and then uh, and then protein, and then a ton, I think, of magnesium and zinc and selenium, I think. They're really good for your eyes. Uh, just and a little bit of fiber in them, and man, way better than just, uh, than just uh, slapping a pat of butter in your coffee. Man, have some cashews, really, and they taste, oh, they're crunchy, and they taste good, and they're actually a seed from a fruit. There's a cashew apple, and they grow off the tip of the cashew apple which is pretty weird. It's fun when you go and start Googling that. And uh, I've noticed uh, I'll snack on them several times a day. Just grab a little handful. I've got a bag of them. And uh, I'll grab a handful every once in a while. And my energy levels are really even because the fat just burns for a long time in those. And it's just a handful, just kind of here and there. And uh, then over the weekend, it was so cold... Uh, sub-freezing temperatures and I never really got cold and I think it's because I always had um, some fat burden in my stomach and you know when you're digesting food that creates heat and that heats up your body so if you're uh, if if you're going empty stomach um, cold weather might bother you a whole lot more but anyway uh, went for a swim this morning after eating some cashews and an Amrita bar and a cup of coffee and had a wonderful swim and my bike ride last night I did kind of the same thing uh, the swimming about swimming or biking like half an hour till your cadence gets nice and high and you're really nice and loose. And then if you feel like it, mixing it in some short intervals to kind of temper your muscles, burn them in a little bit. And then boom, done. One hour under the belt. One hour continuous swimming and uh, listening to the Joel Filial podcast and the... Uh, vindication of the way I coach swimming was so awesome they they coach it's just so nice to hear the best of the best coaches 
saying to to coach swimming and train for swimming for triathlon exactly the same way that I have found that actually works for coaching swimming. It's super cool. So I suggest you listen to that. And then also, if you found any of uh, the podcast or tweets or anything like that helpful, where you're like, man, this guy has really changed some of my stuff for training, and I've benefited from it, from the common sense, Zen, simplify methods, then uh, consider throwing a donation towards Zen Try and helping keeping keeping the show on the air. It helps a ton. Whenever I get up put up against whenever I get put up against a wall about uh, you know should I do Zen Try or should I not? Um, <laughs> Emily sees the donations roll in and she's like, "No, you are not stopping that. That is really helping out with paying the bills." And so it's cool. It's super super cool. I love being a internet coach and uh, podcasting and giving tips and then uh, getting a little bit of payback uh, for all the help that I give out there and you can help too by going to zentrafon.com and going to the donation button on the left hand side you can do a one time or a recurring or any of that stuff it's super super cool and I really like it and I'll leave you well with Chris there's two things I'll leave you with Chris Haig Coaching our last little sponsor here Chris Haig Coaching awesome athlete really does a great job with training and coaching and wants to hear from you. I can't recommend him enough. Love his personality. I've hung out with him uh, plenty and know this kid, this guy. Now, God, he seemed like a kid when I first met him, and now he's full-blown just awesome. And uh, Chris Haig, H-A-G-U-E, ChrisHaigCoaching.com. Uh, check him out. And then also, I was uh, reading a bit about Tolstoy, and Tolstoy is a famous author, of course, and he struggled, uh, maybe when he turned 50 or so, I think, with um, getting older and what is the purpose of life, and there's this big write-up where he was just like, there is no purpose to life, so why shouldn't, he was getting kind of depressed, and he's like, if you actually think through it, there is no purpose, there's no point to it, you know, there's it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. It's just life. It just keeps going. And uh, where, what do I do? And he was getting depressed about it. And one of his conclusions was that one thing that brings a lot of joy to life is to see how simply you can do it. So you take things that appear difficult and trim them down and trim them down until they're the most simple way possible. And it brings a weird joy to your heart. And it also frees you up to actually have the time to enjoy the nice stuff in life when it does happen. And I wanted to leave you with that. Simplify. Simplify, simplify. Do it with as little complication as possible. And notice how happy that makes you feel to have the right tools at the right time and nothing extra. It's absolutely amazing. All right. That's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out.
Oh, my God.